0: Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper.
1: Howdy, y'all. I'm Steve Abramowitz, and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and always our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, Senator Mark Potty. Welcome to our People in the News, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today we are talking with Senator Potty. Mark Potty is a member of the Tennessee State Senate representing District 17, won his first seat 70, no, his Senate seat 70.4 to 29.6 versus Dem Mary Alice Carfee. He assumed office on January 9th, 2018. Potty ran for reelection to the Tennessee State Senate to represent District 17. He won the general election on November 8th, 2022, 100%, so unopposed. After that landslide, I don't blame them for not putting anyone up against him. 2018 was actually a rematch. Mark won 51.3 to 48.7 in 2017, special election vacated by May Beavers' resignation. Mark first won in 2010 for House of Representative District 46, which is East Nashville, Mount Juliet, Lebanon and Lafayette and Smithville. Again in 2014 and re-election in 2016. Won that one 75-25, by the way, before joining the Senate. 2023 to 2024, Senator Potty was assigned to the following committees. Senate Education Committee, State and Local Government Committee, Second Vice Chair, Transportation and Safety Committee, Vice Chair. His current term ends on November 3rd, 2026. Mark Cotty and his wife of 47 years Barbara moved to Wilson County more than 37 years ago to raise a family they are blessed with two granddaughters and get this 12 grandchildren, all of whom still live in the fantastic Tennessee. When Mark and Barbara are not cheering on their grandchildren at basketball games you'll find them enjoying square dancing in the community. Hello Senator It's cold outside, how are you
2: today. Steve, I'm doing awesome. We're getting ready to go back in session next week, and we are excited to get some things going. We are excited to have you to give us a preview of
1: the next session. I wouldn't want to start this uh, new year and new session off with anybody else, so thank you for taking the time and coming on here. I see you're bundled up there in the sweater, so it must be cold where you are, too. I'm pretty cold, but I'm wearing a T-shirt because that's what I wear on the show. Uh, (laughs) All right. Let's start out with this. Um, You said... Parents are to be the primary educators in both academic and behavioral areas. Well, you're on the education committee. As a culture, however, we have relinquished much of that child-rearing responsibility to the public school system. If we are to gain back a responsible society, we need to start with responsible parents demonstrating to their children that education begins at home and not in the classroom. Do you still feel that way? That's a quote from you. And what is Tennessee, the greatest state in in the country, doing wrong that isn't making a responsible society with parents and our public schools?
2: Absolutely. I not only stand by that, I'm even stronger than I was when I made that statement originally. Uh, God gave children to parents, to individual parents, not the government. And for whatever reason, the government seems to be um, believing more and more it's their children which they are not their children. They're our children. They're the parents' children. It's the parents' responsibility to make choices of uh, how they're educated, what their morals are, what their society standard needs to be. It is not up to government, not up to public education to do that. Public education has very specific things that they need to do. And and those things would include uh, whether it be math, writing, reading, those kind of things, not teaching us the moral and social issues of today's society and i will tell you it's up to the parents to choose where they want their children to be educated whether it be at home whether it be in a public school in a private school a school of their choice it is their choice not up to the school system to demand them to be in public schools
1: and that's why you won 75% in Tennessee, folks. That's how you do it. Um, but you're from Washington, where Steve lives behind the Emerald Curtain, where I escaped uh, in the heat of night like Firefox. How do you come up with that opinion?
2: Well, I, my dad was in the Air Force. So there was an Air Force base in Spokane, Washington. And I was born on base when he was actually serving. Uh, the korea war at that time and from there we moved actually around the country so we were in wisconsin i've been in florida and we ended up we chose to be in tennessee for some of the very basic values we like the political values of tennessee and the biblical values here so i chose to move to tennessee uh, after examining everywhere in the country where we could move and we said we want to raise our children in tennessee
1: Got it. Makes sense. Well, as a candidate for representative, Mark Potty said he would informally poll teachers in his district to see whether or not they were in favor of union collectively bargaining. Did they, were they in favor of that? Were teachers in Tennessee in favor of unions?
2: There's actually a very strong divide within some of the teachers uh, that we've talked to. And we sat down with multiple teachers on, on various different times throughout the areas that I would represent, and they had strong, strong opinions on both sides. Um, the bottom line that brought us together was this. They want to do what's right for the kids, and they, they want to make sure that they're respected and supported. So whether they were strong union people or not union people, uh, the basic thing that they said, you know, look, we chose teaching. We could do something else, and we want to teach the kids, uh, but we want to be respected as we're going through to do it. And we have found, for whatever reason, that if I got in trouble at school, I automatically got in trouble at home. In fact, if I, if I dare tell my parents I was in trouble at school, it was almost like an instant whipping when I got home. Today, it's the other way around. It's like if somebody gets in trouble at school, it's the teacher that seems to be in trouble with the parents rather than the other way around, and that is backwards. So we want to make sure, no matter how we're doing it, um, the kids have the discipline which needs to come from home And the teachers need to have the parental support if the parents choose to put them in public education.
1: It's a lot like the defund the police movement, I would say, or some of the city council members who seem to be in favor of uh, no bail or or the recidivism that goes on with the crime in the streets. They would rather blame the laws and the the public defenders than they would the actual criminal who did the crime and certainly not the victims. And unfortunately, I think that's trickled down to the schools. Recently, a poll was conducted by the Tennessee Conservative. Uh, They did it on Twitter, so it's very unscientific and informal, but the poll was asked, are you happy with the way the Tennessee legislature and Governor Lee are handling the illegal immigration crisis in our state? I know it sounds like I'm shifting gears a little bit, but I will bring it back to education. The poll results showed that 85% of the participants answered no, and the remaining 15% of the participants answered yes. They're not happy with it. What do you think the disconnect is between the the folks who said, uh, no, they're not happy with Lee and the legislature, and what's actually been going on in Tennessee to make it so uh, bright red and the most conservative of the states, maybe next to Oklahoma and Texas?
2: So it's easy for us to say, oh, it's a national problem, it needs to be handled in uh, in Texas and Arizona and so forth, New Mexico. But the truth of it is, there's things that we can do in Tennessee to make Tennessee not a state of destination when, when somebody's coming in. Uh, when somebody does come in over the border, they many times can choose where they want to go, and they're choosing the states that offer them uh, perhaps more benefits, more, I don't want to say freebies, but a better opportunity that they see to for themselves. I think that we need to take care of Tennesseans first. It's not fair that somebody comes in and they get a private tutor to help them in class that so they get sometimes their food sometimes their housing sometimes so much given to them where we've got veterans that they're standing in line for getting some of the medical care that they need we've got people that are actually hungry and they're americans they've been paying taxes they've been paying in and it's not right that somebody seems to be able to jump the line that seemed to come over the border illegally and i think we can do a better job in tennessee at making sure we take care of tennesseeans first
1: I agree with you. Uh, a group called FairUS.org put out a graphic here. I can send it to you if you care, but it basically caught, shows the fiscal burden of illegal immigration on Tennessee, and it goes through all of the services that they're provided. and If you add it all up, only five hundred seventy one million of it is for education, but the total is nine hundred seventy one point three million dollars, almost a billion dollars, which translates to three hundred sixty four dollars per Tennessee household annually just for illegal immigrants. When we look at what Lee is trying to propose right now, whether it be vouchers, charter school expansions, or whatnot, and Sexton wanting to give the federal funds back to the Department of Education, where where's w- wouldn't that be a great source of the revenue for to do that right now and give those kids an opportunity at a better school?
2: Yes, I think that now Tennessee is kind of um, one of the best financial conditions in the entire country. So we've done very well in planning for uh, when we have a downturn. And right now in Tennessee, if we're looking at our fiscal numbers, they're very flat. We're not having what we've had the last few years. It's a flat budget. So how we spend the money uh, is going to be extremely important. And we have to be very prudent in what we're doing. And here again, we need to take care of Tennesseans first. I'm not trying to turn a cold shoulder to to anybody, but I am going to be saying that uh, we want to make sure that our Tennessee children, that our Tennessee residents, that our elderly are taken care of before we're spending money on illegal immigrants. They're illegal for a reason. They came in illegally. They broke the law to get here. They might have had good intentions to do it, but we need to have them come in a legal way and be processed properly. We don't need to encourage illegals to be coming to Tennessee.
1: Yeah, and you actually uh, wrote the bill. E-Verification Bill to Weaken Job Magnets for Illegal Immigrants in Tennessee, HB 1636, SB, Senate Bill 2297, sponsored by former Rep Bruce Griffey and Senator Mark Potty, uh, would have required certain employers to use an E-Verification program in their hiring process to verify legal status. It also established penalties for employers found to be in violation. I think that's probably the key. This bill would defer, was deferred to a summer study, which we had to go through an entire special session in the summer, so that it may be blocked out. You tell us, after Rep. Clark Boyd uh, cited preference for his own e-verification bill that was not retroactive and prescribed no penalties for anyone found in
2: violation of law. Is that bill coming back up in this new session? It, I don't think it's going to be able to come back up at this. We don't have the support for it at the moment to do it. We had another bill that I thought was extremely fiscally good for us. And it just said that if you were here illegally, um, actually, whether you were legal or not, if you were sending money back to, for example, Mexico, Remittances, yeah, we, we said that you had to pay a fee on that money going back to Mexico. Really? And that would have created hundreds of millions of dollars for us. I don't know many people that are here legally that want to send cash or whatever back to to Mexico or a foreign country. Um, they're they're coming here, they're getting the wages, and they're shipping that money back. We should have at least put some sort of a fee on that money to keep that here and help pay back the support that we're paying them. And and again, that was a great bill. Would have generated hundreds of millions of dollars for us, um, not from Tennesseans. But we couldn't get that passed either. But that would have helped us make it another another place. They'd say they wouldn't want to come to Tennessee if they got to put uh, 5% to Tennessee to pay any money back to their country. I think that's a brilliant move. I've been saying that for 25 years.
1: I think that's exactly yeah. the right way to go. Back in the California days, um, you also have bill allowing non-U.S. citizens to receive professional licenses in Tennessee HB 2309 SB 2464. This isn't you, but this is this exists. Sponsored by Democrat Rep. Bob Freeman, Nashville, and Republican Senator Shane Reeves, District 14, paved the way for non-U.S. citizens to obtain professional and commercial licenses in Tennessee, increasing magnets, again, for illegal immigrants to migrate to and successfully reside in the state. What's the status of that? Are we gonna have to live with that now or is there some
2: movement? Yes, to- um, I believe we're gonna have to live with it. You know, I voted against that bill. It was another bill coming up that's saying that we were gonna let um, illegals be law enforcement, it, and which is just an oxymoron. How can you purposely say, I broke the law to get here, but now I'm gonna protect and enforce the law? The first thing they need to do was turn themselves in and put themselves in jail. It it, it made no sense for us to say we're going to let illegals be law enforcement. I didn't get that bill either. But it's those kind of things that we've got to stop. And and I'm going to say, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they wouldn't have even been considered and now they're actually finding their way through and- that was that bill was proposed by a republican and it passed
1: in the state of illinois if you get pulled over on the freeway in illinois on the way to chicago you very well could be pulled over by somebody who has english as a second language and probably doesn't know the police code so yeah we don't want to tennessee or chicago or we don't want to chicago or tennessee that's for darn sure um so what about the four to five thousand minors? that have been dropped off here in Tennessee, um, undocumented, and unaccompanied. That's
2: terrible. So, yes. So a lot of them came into Chattanooga, and when they were coming in, we didn't even know they were coming in. They were coming in underneath the federal program, and we even tried to get documentation who they were, where they were, and even to this day, we don't know. They were dropped off, and a lot of them, I'm going to say, are lost within the system. And we've got to stop giving payments to the illegals. And I know that we're looking at, and I'm going to tell you in education right now about your bill. And I'm, I'm all for teacher choices or parent choices of where they want to send their schools, but I'm not comfortable if we're going to give that uh, money to people that are here illegally and no accountability to it. Um, so if I'm illegal. And I come into Tennessee and I have three kids or four kids. That means I can get $28,000 and then choose to perhaps take my kids to a homeschool or a different group. We don't even know who they are. We don't even know if they're legal. We'd have no tracking on them, but we're going to be paying that money. We've got to stop making these kind of payments available to people that are not here legally.
1: It's crazy. Uh, yeah. You, you you So SB 126, right? Puberty blockers. You're on record saying you never, if Farrell Hale had been upfront and honest about the bill, would have voted for that. What was that all about? Vanderbilt. You know that bill passed in the legislature with the votes of 34 House Republicans and 15 Senate Republicans. Is it also and signed by Lee? Would it be fair to say you're a minority in the Republican supermajority?
2: Well, I, now I'm going to say, and it was. I can't blame anybody. For my misunderstanding of the bill. That, that's up to me, and I got to be held accountable for that. I got to take uh, full ownership of that. You know, I'd love to say, um, Boy, let me throw somebody else on the butt. I'm the one that's responsible. My my constituents put me in here to read the bills and to understand them and vote accordingly. Um, I made a huge mistake in voting for that. I wish I wouldn't have. I got to go back and try and fix it any way we can. I think that we're on that process. Um, it was. I don't want to say in disguise, but it was something that was not easily um, recognized by myself. And I think others are in the same position that had we fully understood what was going on, that bill would not have passed. And
1: 34 Republicans were confused or didn't do their homework on that bill. Is that?
2: um, I will say I did. It sounded so good. I mean, mm. the bill sounded good and looked good at mm. first glance. But, you know, when you say uh, the devil's in the details, that's where this was. It opened things up and did things that uh, was not readily visible at that moment. And when we were passing that bill, it did get by and got by me. And, and I've got to take ownership of that. You know, I, I can come back and say I was wrong, made mistakes, try and fix it. But that was a bad vote on my part.
1: Okay. Well, you got to watch those. Devilly details. Um, You also said uh, that there are negative consequences and conflicts of interest involved when state agencies lobby against your interest all while using your tax dollars. Uh, What were you referring to uh,
2: when when you made that proclamation? Absolutely. So we have departments and when they come in, we want them to come in and give us the information. And when we ask them, This is the bill that's being considered, and how would it affect your department? How would it affect what you're doing? We want to know the facts of how it would affect them and what the outcomes would be. We don't want them to say, we like this part or don't like this part. We want to know what the facts are. We're the legislators. We're supposed to be making those decisions, and it's up to them to implement the decisions we make. Now, what they've done is they've actually had it where they'll hire people to come lobby us and try and convince us to vote one way or the other on that type of bill. That's not their responsibility. Their responsibility is to um, serve the taxpayers, doing what we've instructed them to do, not come to change our minds. And and we tried to stop that a couple of times. So, So far, we've not had the votes to come back and do that. But that's our own government lobbying against us or lobbying for us. And that's not their job. That's not their responsibility. And I'd like to get that stopped.
1: Mm, I think even FDR said that there shouldn't be a public service union for exactly that reason. We, they didn't want the deep state, so to speak, to lobby on the behalf of their own government to against the taxpayers, against us. So yeah, that's great. I, I, it's surprising that a 200-year-old state like Tennessee even has that. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about more about your committee and, and your Ballywick there. School board elections will be coming up this year. Um, people that were once barred from doing it two years ago, are now eligible to run again. They made a big mess of the whole bona fide Republican thing, and in my opinion, and then making school board races partisan as opposed to nonpartisan. So you actually run as a Republican, run as a Democrat. So here in Williamson County, you get a party that <laughs> actually has a Republican who was elected who doesn't really act much like a Republican, probably really a Democrat in disguise, one that I know of for sure here uh very radical and likes dirty books to be seen by five-year-olds i don't understand it what do you make of the um the way they handle the who is a bona fide republican the school board that's coming up here and of course that relates to crt and the american library association and their self-proclaimed marxist lesbian and her porn in the schools and libraries what do you what do you make of the current state of school boards
2: and you know what's ironic that um Just to be fair, I think the Democrats had figured this out long before Republicans did. But the school board races are some of the most important races that are out there in public service, because the um, school boards are the one that's going to be taking and changing the next generation's thoughts. They're the ones that can say, here's the curriculum that I want to have in here. And they're changing thousands of minds because uh, these are the most critical times when when thought processes are being made and kids go in and they have a natural affiliation to to teach their teachers and respect them and say, if that teacher says it, it must be right. They don't have the ability to to do a lot of thinking, critical thinking to say right or wrong. So the school board races are the ones that are supposed to be helping. So we elect the school boards to watch that one part of it. Now, until recently, there was no partisan races, period, in school board. It was across the state, open. And our SEC, um, and these are 66 people, 33 um, men, 33 women, that are elected. And we elect them as Republicans to help decide what is going to be on the Republican ballot. And they had chosen, and they got to, they said, here's the rules of what's going to be a Republican. So they got to say if you're a Republican, you had to vote in the so many of the last primaries, and you had to be active in either a local or a state uh, Republican organization. You couldn't just show up one day and never vote and say, I want to be a Republican and and move on from there and run for that office. You can do that to vote, but you couldn't do it to run for office and have the Republican name behind you. Um, So they said that and they actually put some people off the ballot in several different cases. Um, And now in Williamson County, as you know, is coming back and they're just changed their mind a little bit on what that might look like. Um, That's not going to be a state legislature type issue that's being done by the SEC. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. It makes it difficult. It is, it is an absolute <laughs> yes, yes. And then it they don't so even almost... hold
1: by their rules. So they made a rule yes. and now they're saying, well, it's kind of fungible. So sorry about that. Um, and Obama was the one who told everyone that school boards, school boards, school boards, that's where we go. That's why we got the Randy Weingarten curriculum with the gay unicorn, et cetera. So it's it certainly, you're right. That was the, the, the battleground for the last 40 years. Um, I mentioned it. But so Speaker Cameron Sexton is again talking about giving back fed funds for education. So is is vouchers solution a good option if we don't have federal tax money to pay for it? And will it mean large property tax increases for the state? The state doesn't have income tax. It can't really max out sales tax. I don't think anymore to cover that. What do you think of is that? Like, would you be in favor of a Prop 13 like California had my whole life? And they just repealed it that basically capped property tax increases. Or do you think that since we're the lowest taxed income for property in the country,
2: there's room to go up? Well, I'm going to tell you, I just went through a 30 some percent tax increase in my home city here in Lebanon and right. Davidson County also went through a 30 some percent tax increase and I think that it should be limited I don't think that it should just be able to go up uh, by whatever that current uh, elected body says at that moment and we need to have some sort of a cap on how fast that they raise our property taxes so I would be in favor of something along those lines And in fact, I think there's going to be something coming up this year along those lines. I've already heard some of the talk looking like that at this moment. Uh, When they talked about limiting the federal government and turning down all that money, I want to kind of look back at what they were looking at, how we were going to do it. And part of the thought process is this. If we could have gotten the amount of money that they're giving us as a federal government in for our education, instead of giving it to us, With all those strings you've got on, would you just give us a black grant? Would you give us some of that money and let us decide how to educate our kids? Um, I think that would have been a lot better approach, even if we would have said, look, uh, if there's any savings. We've done this in the past. We just did it a couple of years ago with some of our health programs where the federal government's telling us what they were going to do with the health program. And we said, if you give us that money, if we make any savings, we'll give it back. We'll split it. And we've actually gotten tens of millions of dollars because of the savings i think they were looking at doing some of the same thing in the health or in the education field Um, now it turned out that there wasn't as much as they thought they could save and it didn't go anywhere the summer study just kind of fell apart but there is a thought process there's a lot of money that's wasted when it comes from us as taxpayers to washington and then coming back to us with the strings how could we do that a lot more effectively
1: yeah, if they allow it, because this administration doesn't seem like they would even say, it. well, of course it comes with strings. We, we There'll be more strings next time. And, you know, we talked about it. I think it's one point six billion dollars that comes back from the feds into Tennessee. And I just showed you where one billion dollars is going to people who didn't pay into Social Security or earn it. They do pay the sales tax, but they certainly don't deserve it. So it could be easily done. But, you know, the left has been saying now that vouchers will mean parents with kids already in private school. We'll get a break on tuition but they never talk about the poor kids trapped in c to f rated now we have this new rating system c to f on our schools having a chance for a better education out of the public getting out of public um a are there good local alternatives for these kids statewide and b do do you think poor kids will use vouchers more than kids of parents that can already afford their kids private school
2: and there are so many studies on the, the voucher program uh, across the nation. And I can tell you that if you look, you can find a study that's either pro or against it, on uh, depending what it is. But when I look at this overall, I'm going to tell you if we can enable our parents to make the choice that's best for them and their children, I have more confidence in that than just saying everybody should go to a public school or If not, you're going to pay for it yourself. You know, again, I've got to look at the details. We've not even seen the bill of what they're proposing. We've just heard what it might look like. And I I want to have as much choice as I can that's practical and reasonable for our parents. Um, I've seen some systems that, that have worked very well and some that haven't. And I want to make sure that what we're doing in Tennessee is going to be the right steps for us. But parent choice is something I think that I'm going to be very much supportive of. I've already supported it in the past every single time it came.
1: And that'd be about seven thousand or so dollars per student to follow the student wherever they want to go. That's the plan that you kind of like, even though like you said, there's not an actual bill to read or vote on.
2: Yes. And I've got and I but I'm not comfortable if we're going to give that seven thousand to illegals, I right. want to make sure it's going to Tennesseans, to Tennessean citizens. I also want to make sure, for example, we got so many border states around us. You know, if somebody says I'm coming over from Kentucky and my students are going to be in there, should they get something? You know, I want this to go for Tennesseans. I need to see exactly the details of how this bill is written.
1: What about homeschools? Will you want an exception or a carve out for them so that the federal government and the state government doesn't interfere with the way they like to teach their kids how to learn?
2: So, if a private school or homeschool or whatever, if they're going to say we're going to be accepting some of the money, all right, then uh, we got to see what rules are going to be saying that they're going to be accountable for that money that's being being given. They don't have to take the money if they don't want to, but I don't want to just give money and not hold anybody accountable for what it is or how it's being spent either. There has to be a balance. I want the parents to have the choice, but. If they're going to be the ones educating their children, those children have to be educated. And we want to make sure that there's some sort of accountability along the way.
1: And there aren't that many charter schools actually already in existence. What if all of a sudden a bunch of them crop up and it turns out that they have 10 kids on the register, but it's a fraud, you know, like Social Security or welfare type of situation? Who's going to police this and make sure that it's being done uh, correctly so the money's not being absconded with like uh, COVID
2: funds? And, and those are the details that we have not seen. And that's what I'm going to be very much looking forward to do it because uh, I don't want to just make it a ripe area for fraud. And we've seen all the COVID money and how it was passed out. And so many people got it that didn't deserve it. Now we're trying to go back and get some of that money. And right. it was just an ill-conceived idea on how they were giving money away. And we don't want to do the same thing here.
1: Okay, especially if it's foreign schools. But, um, you know, it was Lee's 10 for Tennessee election promise. So I see why he wants to do it. He's This is his last lap in terms of his term, uh, his second term. He's term limited out. Are you even in favor of it still or in an income-free tax state like we talked about where we're going to have toll roads or choice lanes, sorry, to pay for the roads? Would you be in favor of property tax to pay for it or some other means to pay for it. Um, Tennessee, like I said, has the lowest in the country, so people could certainly look at that and say, there's a right uh, uh, garden to pick for money.
2: No, I'm not in favor of property tax paying for this. Absolutely not, okay? I don't want the state getting into the property tax business at all. Okay. Um, what are your priorities for this session? All right, so there's a couple that I wanna do. And while I'm on education, let me just mention that. Uh, it's a school safety type bill that I'm doing. Uh, and if you would just kind of picture, you know, the lanyards that teachers wear uh, with their name, their picture on and so forth. And if I combine that a little bit with something called like life alert, I don't know if you've heard of that one where sure. it says how if I've fallen or whatever, True. but um, we would have a lanyard with three buttons on it. And the first button would be a button that would say, uh, if they're having a discipline issue with a child, they would hit that button and that's going to go to the, principal as well as the SRO officer if there's one and it would be recorded that way that that recording would be available for the parent to say this is what your child did. I've got many teachers that come to me and they say we tell the parents they do this. But the parents say my child wouldn't do it we need to have some sort of proof or backup and i think that's going to help a lot of disciplinary issues at that point uh, a second button would be if there happens to be a medical emergency or fire you hit the button 911's called immediately uh, but the third button would be a very important button and that was if there was ever for example an active shooter uh, and you know the ring doorbell type technology Um, You would hit that button and law enforcement would exactly see what is going on in that classroom. So if there was a shooter, they'd see that shooter. It would have the GPS technology where the police, law enforcement would know whether they're in the cafeteria, the art room, their homeroom, wherever they are on that school grounds, they would know exactly where they are. They would see and hear what's going on uh, with that teacher right there. And that gives the law enforcement the exact information that they need to know what to do to resolve that issue instantly. Um, we're proposing that. I think we got it already funded through the grant safety program. So that's one bill we're doing for school safety. The other one I'm trying to do is in Tennessee, as you know, you're in Franklin. You mentioned how long it takes to get from Franklin to Nashville. I only had a good day. Uh, We're trying to do something that's going to give more money to TDOT. And right now, TDOT gets about a billion dollars from the feds and about a billion dollars from the state. So about a $2 billion budget is what they have we can use a user fee to help TDOT. And this would be this, every time you buy a car, whether it be a new car or a used car, the sales tax you're currently paying, it's not a new tax, just the sales tax you're currently paying would go directly to the TDOT budget. And that means if you're buying a car, you're gonna be using it on the road, whether it be an electric car, a gas car, whatever, you're using it on the road, that would then double the TDOT budget And they would be able to start making a lot more improvements a lot faster. We gave them a $3 billion boost this year, but it was a one-time boost. And you can't can't budget on a one-time type deal. You need reoccurring, stable user fees that's coming in. And the other thing this is going to do is as new cars go up in value or used cars, the taxes are going to go up as well. It's a percentage. So this will stay up with inflation as we're going forward. That's going to help our roads. That's going to help our infrastructure.
1: Interesting. Okay. Um, So I'm almost out of time here, but I want to get a few out about uh, the modern day that we live in. Uh, It's an election year, as we said, and U.S. Senator Blackburn is running for re-election. Uh, She's been an outspoken critic of the open borders and, uh, you know, the 5,000 undocumented minors getting dropped off in Tennessee and the 80,000 that they can't seem to find. uh, The same ones that are getting that $364 per household um, her democratic opponent is from your hometown of Knox County, uh, current assembly. Well, I guess not really, but current assembly woman, Gloria Johnson, uh, which is one of the troublemakers last year, um, almost expelled. She was one, the one that wasn't of the two of the three, maybe why she chose not to run again in Knoxville. Do you think she has a chance against Marcia?
2: No, I do not. I think Marcia and I'm going to be, I'm a strong Marcia Blackburn supporter. Um, I think that Marsh is going to do very well in this upcoming election. I don't think that um, Johnson's going to have a shot at even coming close to to beating her. Tennessee is still a very solid red state. We're very conservative, and we want to continue that. I know we might not be uh, as conservative as we once were a short time ago, but we're fighting to hold that value, hold that line right now.
1: Yeah, I think everywhere but Nashville and Memphis we actually are, but we'll see. And I'm yes. going to say we now because I've been here almost two years, so I'm going to start saying we. Uh, okay. All right. Do you do you think those three will cause trouble again for Sexton? And, and then I'll let you tell everyone how to follow you and, and let you go because I know you're busy. But uh, you know Jones on Twitter just today said some ominous stuff. Hold extremists accountable. You what he calls extremists. You just said were Republicans. Um, and I don't think he was referring to himself, but he is, uh, but he should have, obviously. Do, do you think they're going to cause trouble or is, is Mr. Sexton going to be able to keep them all in line?
2: No, I absolutely believe that it will be a uh, turbulent year in the House this year. And uh, it's not only the three, but I think there's a, another one or two that's going to join them. On- And I think it's going to be a little bit more of a rowdy house. I think the Senate is going to be just fine. I think we're going to be a calming influence, but I would say buy your popcorn and sit back for the, for the show because the house will have a show.
1: Okay, well, I like the more genteel Senate side, but uh, I totally understand. Well, Senator Potty, thank you for your time. Really happy that you are on here. I know Steve is wishing that there were more like you where he's from. We'll talk about that in a minute. But please tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you, follow you, if you have social media, uh, and, and what bills they should be watching for you.
2: All right. So, sure, I'm on markpody.com. it's my name, M-A-R-K-P-O-D-Y dot com markfody.com that's my website i am on facebook i am on um, linkedin so i'm on all all the social medias as well and if you go to one you'll be able to find find the rest of them but please follow my newsletter if you'd like to sign up just go to markfody.com and i'll get you signed up immediately
1: awesome well thanks again for coming on hope to have you on again sometime soon good luck with the new session enjoy that popcorn watching the house go crazy and uh and we will wish you a happy new
2: year all right. and i will tell you let me shout out to mill creek you and what you do with your podcast thank you we need good conservative news hosts uh, to get the word out that there are good things happening and and speaking the truth of what's happening so i appreciate what you do
1: oh thank you i'm honored that's very nice of you thank you very much
2: all right thank you
1: Hi, guys. It's Ben Dieter from Wake Up Memphis, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard-dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know, I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com
0: I don't understand
1: Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show. Producer Steve, what do you think of our guest, Senator Mark Pody?
0: What a wonderful man. And again, you just, uh, it, it's nice to see individuals own when they make a mistake. He did when he talked about the, uh, the one bill of the uh, transsexual stuff and the kids and all that. But the fact is, he's out there. He's a heavy hitter. He's doing his best. And I did learn a lot. I, I learned some very good details about how your states run. And yes, we could use individuals like himself in I knew you'd be to... jealous.
1: I knew you'd be jealous yes. thinking, oh, gosh, and you're in an election year, too. So we're going to get to watch exactly <laughs> the, the black and white opposites attract and all the rest. So uh, you remember the rural purge?
0: Yes, the rural purge, yes.
1: All right, For those who don't, the rural purge of American television networks, in particular CBS, was a series of cancellations in the early 1970s of still popular rural-themed shows with demographically skewed audiences, the majority of which occurred at the end of the 1970 71 television season. I bring it up because I have a feeling that Mark Pody, who decided to say I made a mistake and I came forward, probably poll tested that and probably realized it actually helps, not hurts. That's how you win an election, 75% to 25%. But they don't do this in the real world. So in addition to rural themed shows such as Mayberry RFD, the Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction, and Green Acres, clip number one,
0: Bohr and Eddie Albert.
2: Island is the for me. Lands out so far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside.
0: Actually, that is Eddie Albert singing that song, by the way, and that was a favorite. Come home after school, watch the reruns. Boy, we love that show.
1: Yeah, I'm having flashbacks as you speak. Plus, play number two.
0: Come ride the little train that is rolling down the tracks to the
2: junction. Forget about your cares, it is time to relax at the junction. Lots of curves, you bet, and even more when you
0: get to the junction. Petticoat Junction. And right along with um, that, man. Steve, if you remember, here comes the brides, based in Seattle, Washington, and hee-haw.
1: Yeah, and Green Acres. Let's let, play that one.
0: We just did, but we got some Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, right oh, that's right. A, man that's named Jed, that. a poor
2: mountaineer barely kept his family fed, and then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude, oil that is black
0: gold, Texas tea. Boy, did we not watch that. Black and white. Oh, I remember all that. The Cement Pwned. Well,
1: the good old days, and here's what they did with it. The cancellations ended several highly rated variety shows that had been on CBS since the beginning of television broadcasting. CBS saw a dramatic change in direction with the shift moving away from shows with rural themes and toward more appeal to urban and suburban audiences. And that brings us to... Johnny Cash. Clip number four, please.
0: Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Not all of it. What's that?
1: All right. I was going to say not all of it, but that's good. Just a taste. Everyone can go watch the reruns on YouTube. But Cash's music was rebellious and often politically and morally engaged, filled with themes such as sorrow, moral tribulation, and redemption. Yes. In his lustrous career, Johnny Cash introduced us to songs such as Ring of Fire, Folsom Prison Blues, Man in Black, and many more. Besides working on his own music, Cash was always promoting and introducing other songwriters whether through collaborations or by inviting artists to play together with him on his tours. In 1969, right before this purge, Johnny Cash received an offer from ABC to run his own variety show focused on folk country music, huh? The 58-episode show aired from June 1969 to March 1971. I was one month old. The show became a must for anybody who wanted to listen to country music, a sort of Country Music 101. The show was recorded at the Ryman Auditorium, also known as the Mother Church of Country Music, 23 minutes up the road from where I live. Wow. An instrumental version of Folsom Prison Blues was chosen for the opening credits, and Cash opened each episode with one of his songs along with his usual greeting. We just heard one. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Besides the weekly guest spot, the show had the regular crew, which consisted of Johnny Cash himself, his wife, June Carter Cash, and the Carter family Carl Perkins, and the Tennessee Three. That's why I never talk about those other ones as them. I talk about the three. The Statler Brothers and musical director, conductor, Bill Walker. Cash was invited by ABC to do the TV show after the success he had with his two live albums recorded at Folsom Prison and San Quentin Prison. He was at the peak of his career, and with his charismatic personality, Cash was the perfect choice for a TV show host. The pilot of the show was a one-hour program that served as a summer replacement for the Saturday Night Variety Show called The Hollywood Palace. Cash had a lot of freedom in his choice of guests and the overall format of the show. But as always in show business, he had to make some compromises. One of those compromises was hosting such Hollywood celebrities as Kirk Douglas, Burl Ives, Peggy Lee and Lorne Green from time to time. The network wanted them on because they boosted the ratings and satisfied advertisers. Although Cash made several compromises in his show, he stood up to many so-called network anxieties. On many occasions, ABC wanted to censor and control individual elements of the show to make them more friendly to the wider audience, but Cash was always against it. For example, he once refused to eliminate the word stoned from Chris Christopherson's Sunday morning coming down. On another occasion, he went against the wishes of the network and brought on Pete Seeger to perform his anti-Vietnam song. Unfortunately, after 58 episodes, The Johnny Cash Show was canceled. This happened because of the primetime access rule. All the main networks were forced to cut 30 minutes from their primetime nightly schedules. Most of the networks decided to cut the shows that had a rural impact instead of those that were more popular in cities. The Johnny Cash Show audience was primarily rural. Because of this, the primetime access rule became known as the rural purge. Wow. Heavy Coat Junction was one of the first casualties of The Purge. After seven seasons, the ladies of the Shady Rest Hotel got the boot and were replaced by a completely different show, The Mary Tyler Moore Show. After Mary Tyler Moore debuted with a bang, CBS was inspired to cut even more of its rural shows and upgrade to more variety shows. Rural sitcoms Green Acres was axed next, followed by one of the biggest losses of The Purge, The Beverly Hillbillies. At one point, the Clampets were the most popular family on the network, but CBS didn't care. The network canceled them after nine beloved seasons. CBS is known for being the most stable of the podcast networks. Their schedule looks pretty much the same year after year, and many of their shows have been on the air for a long time. Last season, CBS introduced six new scripted shows, three of which were spinoffs. How will their new or old programming perform in the ratings for the 2022-23 season? We'll find out. CBS shows this season so far, 48 hours, 60 minutes, The Amazing Race, Big Brother, Blue Bloods, Bob, The Challenge, USA, CSI, Vegas, East New York, The Equalizer, FBI, FBI International, FBI Most Wanted, Fire Country, Ghost, NCIS, NCIS Hawaii, NCIS Los Angeles, <laughs> The Neighborhood, The Real Love Vote. I thought that secret-
0: all went away, Steve. Nope. I don't secret, watch any celebrity of that stuff.
1: I don't either. So Help Me Todd, Superfan, Survivor, SWAT, Tough as Nails, and Young Sheldon. There's lots of data that network execs look at when deciding whether to renew or cancel a TV series, but ratings are typically the biggest piece. These 2022-23 to 23 season charts get updated daily as new rating data becomes available. Check this out. FBI, down 20%. NCIS down 23.5%, The Equalizer down 18%, Blue Bloods down 14%, FBI International 22, down 22%, The Neighborhood down 16%, FBI Most Wanted down 25%, NCIS Hawaii down 32%, uh, NCIS Los Angeles down 28%, CSI Las Vegas, people are sick of it, down 28%. I had to look it up because I don't watch TV anymore like you just said, Steve. The Neighborhood was the closest thing to those old 60 shows. Black family comedy series, The Neighborhood, TV show stars Cedric the Entertainer. Sitcom begins when a very friendly guy and his family, professional conflict negotiator David Johnson, school principal Gemma, and their young son Grover move to a community in Los Angeles that's quite different from their Michigan small town, obviously the opposite of what we're talking about. Their opinionated next door neighbor is Calvin Butler, Cedric the Entertainer, a family man who's wary of the newcomers. However... Calvin's family feels very different about the newcomers. His gracious wife, Tina, rolls out the welcome wagon while sons Marty and Malcolm think the Johnsons will be good for their family and the community. Despite their differences, the Johnsons and Butlers find a way to become true neighbors and maybe even friends. All the rest of the CBS lineup are mostly big city cop shows, still, and failing and falling fast in the ratings, Big government content or propaganda doesn't seem to be selling anymore, that's a good thing. Stick with podcasts and classic country like Johnny Cash. Stay tuned for my thoughts of the day.
2: Hi, this is Senator Jack Johnson. You're listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Hi, I'm JC Bowman. I'm the CEO of Professional Educators of Tennessee, and you are listening to the Mill Creek View Podcast. Glad to be with you.
1: All right, time for my quotes for the day. Before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, Deezer, iHeartRadio, all kinds of things I've never even heard of before. We are there. Search for Mill Creek View and hit the subscribe button. We really hope you like it. We put a lot of work into this. Can't keep the lights on without Steve. So I hope you enjoy the sound. I hope you enjoy the video quality and I hope you enjoy the show. Um, and you can join the conversation at Mill Creek View on Twitter and Facebook anytime, unless they deplatform you again. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States from 1825 to 1829, he previously served as the eighth United States Secretary of State from 1817 to 1825, present at the creation. Each time a man stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope. Robert Kennedy, He served as the 64th United States Attorney General from January 1961 to September 1964, and as a U.S. Senator from New York from January 1965 until his assassination in June 1968, when he was running for the Democratic presidential nomination. That's two years before the purge, by the way. I am a conservative Republican, but I believe in democracy and the separation of church and state. The conservative movement is founded on the simple tenet that people have the right to live life as they please as long as they don't hurt anyone else in the process. Barry Goldwater said that, United States Senator from 1953 to 1965 and 1969 to 1987, and was the Republican Party's nomination for president in 1964, paving the way for Ronald Reagan. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Mark Potty, for reminding us what the theme of this show is all about. What is a Republican and how the party can win on the issues. We don't have to give away the field to the cultural Marxists. We can actually win in overwhelming numbers by just sticking to the platform that the Republican Party was built on. Barry Goldwater, Ronald Reagan, Johnny Cash. That is goodbye for now. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of mcview.us. See y'all tomorrow, another senator, this time Senate Majority Leader Jack Johnson. Peace in our time and definitely G2G.
0: At the county fair